listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Welcome to part seven, our last part of our series, Now Trending. If you have anything to take notes with, now's the time. Uh, my name is Joe Bevilacqua. I am the lead pastor here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, you are my favorite people who come out on a Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I love holiday weekends. I think uh, it's important. I think it's important for rest and relaxation. And I believe in the doctrine of grilling out uh, in Jesus' name. But we can never forget what this weekend is about. And so what I would do is encourage you is today and tomorrow, carve out just just a couple minutes, and thank God that we live here. You could have been born or live anywhere. You live in the United States. Thank God we don't live in Russia or, or in some of these wild countries. As, as crazy as our problems are, we live in the good old USA. And we live here because freedom costs, and there were people that paid really an ultimate sacrifice for that. It's a day to remember them and to reflect. Uh, what I'd like to do is before we press on with the rest of the weekend, can we just bow and have a prayer for our nation? Heavenly Father, we pray for the good old USA. God, we have significant problems that are happening. And Lord, I thank you that you have everything that we need to rise to the challenge. God, I pray, I pray that we would remember and understand and comprehend as much as we can the sacrifices that were made, that, God, it could fuel us. Lord, our country is at a crossroads moment. And, Lord, I pray that it is actually a crossroads that's a setup for the gospel to be preached like never before, that people are going to get a bad taste in their mouth about what the world has to offer, and they'll sink into the goodness of God. Lord, I pray that you would move in our country. I pray this on a Memorial Day weekend in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Hey, let's give God praise for that. We're going to see a change. Um, Next week, uh, I've, I've kind of been uh, made fun of a little bit in my family. We were at a little uh, celebration last week at a birthday party, and, and they said, somebody say next week, and everybody in the room said next week, and uh, so I'm going to do that right now. Uh, everybody say next week. Next week. See, it kind of works. Uh, next week is a beginning of a new series that we're calling Sizzlin' Summer. It is a recurring series here at New Chapel, and it is a sizzling summer. We like to change things up a little bit, change our flow, and we get it. You've got vacations and time off, and what we like to do is give you every reason to sink in to what God is doing at New Chapel. So next week is the start of the series. I'll be here. I'll be preaching. Uh, the week after that, I'm excited to say that we have a man named Dan Seaborn who's going to be here, and uh, Dan is a preacher of the gospel. He's, uh, he's really known for his ministry, Winning at Home, which is uh, marriage and raising kids, family ministry. He's known not just in Western Michigan, but really nationally, and and he's a great speaker. We have the honor of having him in on June 11th. Moms, dads, grandparents, I need you here. And let me tell you why. Especially for those of you that don't have kids, whether that's you don't have kids yet or you're a grandparent, you need to know a little bit of the insight about what's going on to know how to advise your adult children. You need to know what's going on and how God would answer it to be able to navigate culture. And so this is a, this is a plus one weekend. Bring somebody with you. The week after that, we are having Uncle Gabe with us, uh, Pastor Gabe George. He, we call him Uncle Gabe because he's here all the time. Uh, and, and Pastor Gabe, he is. this is the weekend where you're going to laugh so hard that you might puke. Uh, but you also, by the end of the message, will be crying so hard, or for you like tough guys, you'll be trying to suck tears back in 
your eye sockets. But uh, Pastor Gabe, he, he's, he goes there. It's, it's going to be a great weekend. He's bringing his whole family. He's never done that on the road before, so we get to see all the Georges. And it's also Father's Day, and that means New Chapel on June 18th. It's going to be our dad's and grad's event. This is, of course, for dad. We will have donuts and coffee out there and some free stuff. Typically, it's a mug and some dude merch. Uh, but at the same time, we want to honor our graduates. So if you have a high school or a college graduate, let us know about it over at Guest Services. We want to honor them at church that day. So dads and grads, it's going to be a pretty big deal. And then the week after this, I want you to get loud about our very own Pastor Eric is going to be preaching. This is pretty exciting. Now... Here's why you want to be here on the 25th. Pastor Eric's going to be talking in a, in a vein of, of course, who he is. It's freedom and it's outreach and it's missions. But he's going to be telling some stories about the trip that he recently took to Pakistan and what God is doing on the move in his ministry and, and in the life of this church. And so don't miss Pastor Eric. After that, we celebrate Independence Day weekend big here at New Chapel. And that is with our Living in Freedom event that is on July 2nd. Now... Let me just say, huge deal. Uh, Justin Barclay will be bringing the word at both 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock. We are having a raffle, okay? So, so here's what you can do. Your kids can win bikes. We're going to have bikes. Your family can win uh, Great Wolf Lodge weekend. And by the way, we are officially barring my sister from this raffle because she won that last year. And some of you guys thought that I worked for the national elections. And anyway, but um, we are also raffling off in AR-15 to the glory of Jesus at this church. Can we get it? Come on, somebody. You know you want to win that. And so this is a plus one weekend. Bring every human being that you know. And this is a big weekend here. Uh, Justin promotes this on the show big time. And so wouldn't it be a shame if we have a ton of first-time visitors and half the church is gone at Grand Haven? Look at me. We'll put the fear of God in you. Your boat will sink. Your cottage will burn down. It, it ain't going to work in your life. If you're on a trip, you're going to get a flat tire. The plane's going to fall down in Jesus' name. If you try to skip out on Independence Day weekend. Now, you visited your old church. Back to mine. Um, the idea is, guys, this is a big deal. Partners, this is an all-hands-on-deck weekend. I need you. We need to roll out the red carpet for those people that are coming into this church, and we need to celebrate Independence Day big, big, big time. Kids are going to love it. We have inflatables, the whole deal. And this will be like last year. We thought that flow worked really well, where it will be after the 9 and the 11. We don't have to wait till just after both services in. Of course, there's only one raffle for the AR. So make sure that you make plans to be part of that. Everyone say, yes, I will. If you, if you sat next to somebody that didn't say that, get them in Jesus' name. Okay, we need to jump into the message today. Uh, we're talking about our miracle-working God. You asked a question about miracles at our Easter survey, and I want to go there with you. The Bible says this in Psalm 77. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. The Bible is saying about our God in the Old Testament that our God is a miracle-working God. And we believe that Jesus is a miracle-working Jesus. When we get to the New Testament, that he works miracles in our life and in our marriage. And guys, I got a little bit of low end right here. I think there's a little bit of a hum in the house. Uh, but he performs miracles today. Amen, somebody? And Jesus performed uh, in the Bible a documented 35 miracles. There were 17 physical healings. Six people were delivered from demons. 
Three people were raised from the dead and there were nine miracles over nature or natural things. We'll talk about one of those today, 35. Now, that, those, that list, that is not exhaustive. And in fact, John, the apostle John writes in John 21 that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the books of the world could have contained it. He's saying, and that's, that's a little bit hyperbole, like maybe it's like, well, I suppose, but it might have been literal. Like at that time, there wasn't many books. He, he's literally saying, there's no time to detail all the things that he did. And in the Gospels, you have a cut section of the type of things that Jesus was doing. But everywhere that he went, he was performing dynamic miracles in Jesus' name. Now... As I bring up the subject of miracles, I know this. There's a tension in the room, and it's for two reasons. First of all, there's people here that you get discouraged because, you know, you think that God doesn't do that anymore. You think that that is something that is old, that, that is maybe just in Bible times. Maybe you even, uh, as you read Jesus' miracles, you think that they're symbolic. Like, he symbolically healed someone of leprosy, you know, and, and whatever, I just want to let you know that it is not just for your flannel graph in Sunday school that God is a miracle worker today. I want to show you that in the Word of God. I want to show you that from the Bible. There's another group of people in here, and you believe that God does miracles today. You just don't think he does it for you. And, and I don't know if you think that you're not good enough or that God doesn't have you on his radar or that he just doesn't, I don't know, he just doesn't like you. But, but there are people that, that think God is hard to please, that he's disinterested. And friend, I want to let you know that God is no respecter of persons. What he'll do for one, he'll do for another. And our God is a miracle worker. Amen. The first mention of a miracle, Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, is a wedding. It's the miracle of water to wine. It's the wedding in, in Cana of Galilee. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 2. If you're a Baptist, by the way, this is the story you've heard growing up of the miracle of water to Welches. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can... <laughs> clear that up. John 2, uh, let me read this for us. Uh, first mention, big deal. Uh, first mention brings a lot of insight. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. This is Mary. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, there is not a single detail in the scripture that is there by accident. It's all there on purpose. God has seeded everything he wants to say to us in this life in the word of God for every Christian. And so it's there. The fact that this is at a wedding is a very significant thing. Uh, weddings are unique. Weddings have a lot of expectation associated with them. If you've ever put on a wedding for someone else, if you've ever been married, you know that there's like all eyes on that ceremony because somewhere down the line, people got the idea that they need to look like English nobility getting married in some high mass service and, you know, what everybody's wearing matters and the song and we want a violin playing and we're going to mix sand together or we're going to tie ropes together. Or we're going to light candles. We, we never do these things, right? But we're going to light candles together. This is the last time some of you men have ever lit a candle in your ever loving life. But, but weddings have a lot of expectation. My father-in-law would agree with this. Uh, I like doing funerals better than weddings, <laughs> Because at a funeral, you can actually minister to people. We act like we're doing some ministry at a wedding. Really, we're just saying magic words. You just want us to like deliver a speech. And, and, and there's pressure. I'll tell you this. There's a lot of pressures from the, from the bride's mom. 
she'll be looking at you the whole time, just, just mean mugging you like, mess up, mess up. She played with dolls acting this wedding out. Mess up. I dare you. Come at me. And I'm telling you, I have been attacked by some bride's moms in Jesus' name. But I've got some crazy wedding stories I, I can't tell in church, or I've got to let some time go because some of you are sitting in front of me right now. But <clears throat> I'll tell one of mine. Uh, so not one of mine. Like I only have a couple wedding stories because I only got married once. Uh, I, one time at the movie theater when we were first starting out, I said, hey, my first wife is here this morning. People thought I got married more than once. It's Kaya. It's just Kaya. I've only been married once. But uh, our wedding was in Grand Haven, and I lived up north, and, and I was going to uh, wake up, go there, have a leisurely morning. It was going to be wonderful. Kaya and I had a family friend who said, hey, I'll do your wedding cake, and I'll do it at a discount for you. And the discount really wasn't that great. It actually was just a couple bucks less than if we would have taken, like, the high road, like had the 1913 room craft something for us or whatever. But uh, this is back when that was open. But we, we went with our family friend. And uh, the night before, at our rehearsal, we're getting texts. And it's like, hey, I might not be able to make it on time, but I'll be there, you know. And then it was like, uh, you, you know, morning of, I'm, I'm awakened to this text, which I love. Uh, and it says hey, not going to be able to get there. Okay. Can somebody come get the cake? Well, that's me. I call Kaya. I was like, Kaya, do you have anybody that... Kaya's mom grabs the phone and hangs it up. Okay. Praise God. Uh, I'll get the cake. Okay. So, uh, so we went to Rosie's Diner when it was open. I'm dating myself in all of this. Um, so we went to Rosie's and had breakfast, and then we were going to go. She lived in Comstock Park, really close to Starbucks. And so I stopped by. I'm like, hey, I'm here for the cake. And she, like, it was a weird interaction, like, didn't want to let me in. And then, like, okay, well, here it is. And I'm telling you, it looked like my three-year-old Frank baked a cake in an easy-bake oven. It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm looking at it, and I know who my wife is. I know who my mother-in-law is, who is British nobility, I think. And, and, and I'm thinking, this ain't going to work. And I said, you know, what do I owe you? Thinking, like, of course I'm not paying for this crap. And she says, well, the ingredients weren't free. And so she charged me full price. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, devil. And, and so, like, I just, <laughs> so I've got this cake, and my, my buddies are in the car. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like, it's going to ruin everything. Kai's going to see this and want to, like, split with me. And so by the time we got to Spring Lake, remember the weddings in Grand Haven, I'm like, I got it. Okay, we're going to drop off uh, one of you, and, and you're going to go into Meyer. And one of you is going to get a blank birthday cake and then one of their small party cakes. And you're going to layer that sucker, okay? And you're going to figure out a way to decorate a cake. I need you just to do it. But there's not a lot of time because you got to go drop me off. And then you got to go back and go pick him up. And you got to be done with the cake by the time he comes back because we're supposed to be out there. We're, we're going to delay the wedding for this. And so it's like rushing, and they show up last minute. Like, I'm tying my tie. My, my buddies roll in. I was like, you got the cake? They're like, we did it. It's done. It's like, did you get the monogram? Because you know that's a huge deal for Kai. She's got a big letter B. Let's go. Going to go in that cake. Whatever. Did you get it? Yeah, it's in there. So we go through the wedding, and, and, and we get to the reception. I never see the cake until it's time to cut it. And I go out there, and Kai's like, oh, my gosh, she did great. I was like, nothing but the best, babe. Nothing but the best, you know. 
we cut that thing. I'm smiling, you know, in the, in the pictures and everything. And when it was all said and done, my, my buddy said, thank God you didn't cut into the decorate because it was decorated beautiful. I said, what did you do? He said, we went to the fabric section and we got some iron on flourishes and put flourishes around all. It was like this black, white thing. I said, you're kidding me. He said, thank God nobody ate it. And so, and so um, anyway, I got to preach today, but uh, it's wedding stories. Uh, Kaya was amused with the whole thing, and we actually ate the, the other cake. It was delicious. It just looked like the devil. But it's so interesting to me that Jesus' first miracle is in this setting at a wedding. His first miracle, check this, it's in an atmosphere of expectation. Massive. From my study of the scripture, it's clear. From living life, it's clear. You don't need a miracle when everything's going good. You need a miracle when there is an expectation gap. When you are expecting one thing and something else happened. And I know this, that in this room today, there's people that thought life was going to be here versus life. Or you thought marriage was going to be this versus marriage. Or you thought your job, your career, the thing you were going to do with your life was going to be here, but it's here. And, and there's this expectation gap in the room. And that's really the setting of the story. When they're saying in this wedding that the wine is gone, huge significance to a Jewish reader, we read over it. Because we think that like the wedding's the big deal, Jews were different. For the Jews, this was massive. It was a big lit down. Two reasons. First reason is the, the ceremony wasn't nearly as big of a deal as a reception. The reception was like some of you Polish people celebrate. It was a seven-day thing, okay? Roll out the barrel. Can anybody hear it? You know what I'm saying? Like a big deal. And, and the ceremony actually wasn't that elaborate at all. And, and what would happen when, when the wine ran out, it really was kind of an indictment on the family, that it was a more modest family. It represented hospitality. It represented a lot of goodness. And in this case, it represented uh, like the preacher not showing up. It was a huge lit down. The second reason is that the Jews had a saying for weddings, that at weddings where there is no wine, there is no joy. I preached this one time, and I heard somebody go, amen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Different sermon, different day. God bless you, but we need to talk. But, but the idea with this is, for the Jews at a wedding, this wine was more than a beverage. This was symbolic, and in this case, it was symbolic of lost joy. So I dedicate today's message for those people in the room that you have this high level of expectation but the wine is gone. The joy is gone in so many different areas, and it stinks, and you don't like it. Marriage stinks, or your finances, finances stink, or your kids are out of control, and you don't even know what got you to the spot. I want God to fill your cup today in Jesus' name. If you find yourself with no joy in this life, know this, though, that it is situations exactly like that that are a setup for the great miraculous work of our God. Amen? Now, there are three things that they did that I think we do today, and, and they're things that interrupt God's blessing, that, that prevent us, put us in the wrong position from receiving from God. Uh, three thoughts about that, and then I'll get practical. Write it down. Uh, enemies to receiving our miracle. Write it down. We can't focus on feelings over faith, and that's what they did. This all takes place while the wine is gone. And we do that. We, we get to the spot where it's like, well, the wine is gone. And we focus on the natural problem instead of a spiritual solution. 
Well, think about it. This is a wedding. This is a happy occasion. It's a great day. And yet, everybody is fixated on something that is superficial, that's small, that's a small thing. Uh, I recently, well, I said recently, when I was 29, I started hunting. And that's why I've got a lot of making up to do, everybody. But Sometimes when you go out there in the woods or maybe you hikers, you get a tick on you and you have to take a tick out of you. I'm telling you for the rest of the day, at least, if not the next week, every breeze that hits a small hair in your body, it's a tick. You know what I'm saying? Every small thing. You get a little itch in the back. It's like, it's a tick. You know, you're just fixated on it. And that's how we are with problems. Something goes wrong and everything can be going right, but you become fixated on the wrong thing. You become fixated on the need instead of what God can do about the need. You become focused on an issue instead of the supernatural power that God can take care of it with. I'm a man of faith. If I think about it for long enough, I can get into faith. I know that God is faithful. I know that living life in this reality that we live in, it requires an eternal perspective. I know that. I know that I can build myself up, but if I'm not careful... If I don't take an eternal perspective of what God is doing, I'll start to say, shucks, the wine is gone, so to speak. I'll get focused on things that are small, small stones in my shoe, and it'll take my focus away. And I need to remind all of us today that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith, not by sight that we are designed as Christians. That might not be big news or new revelation for you, but you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded that we are people of faith. We are not living in just a natural world with natural problems. We are living a spiritual existence with an all-powerful God. Can I hear an amen? amen? Second thing, write it down, enemies to receiving our miracle. Number two, we can't take matters into our own hands. You can't start to manage the situation. We end up saying to ourselves, well, you know what? If there's going to be no break in the case, I guess I'll just do it myself. And, and finish the sentence. Here's what you really mean. Because God doesn't do anything about it. Well, he's taking his sweet time on all of it. I find myself doing this where God is not doing things how I think he should do them or as fast as I would like him to do it. And, and I just think, well, I'll just, I'll just do it myself. And here's the problem. It never works out as well as it would have if I would have just trusted God. Oftentimes, it doesn't work out at all if I start to manage it and strive and scheme myself and plot to make something happen. We need God in all of it. The Bible says that Jesus' mother said to him, she's trying to, she's trying to have influence. And that's funny to me as I read it. You say, well, why is that funny? She's a guest at the wedding. It has nothing to do with her. She starts to take ownership as though she's going to start barking out orders and bossing people around in the situation. And I just wonder, how often do we do that? You're supposed to be along for the ride. You're supposed to be trusting God in this season. Just be like, God, you're going to do your thing. I prayed, and I know that you're going to do it. If you want me to do something, say it. But until then, you know, I've done my works. Faith without works is dead. But, like, if there's nothing else, I'm just going to receive it. But yet you're anxious you want to see it quicker than, than what it's materializing in front of you. And so you manhandle it. You try to work it out. And guys, I got to tell you, if you are doing it, God's not doing it. You have to realize that if it's our problem, it can't be God's problem as well. It's got to be his. Isaiah 30, the Bible says, the very strange passage, but I think it'll make a lot of sense to you. The Bible says in Isaiah 30, in repentance, 
and in rest is your salvation, in repentance. Repentance, like change your direction. You're never going to get all of God in this life by insisting on doing it your own way. It says in repentance, you got to go the other way. Well, what way? Probably the opposite of the way that you're going, opposite of what's intuitive for you. In repentance and rest, this is you trusting in what God is doing. Stop thinking that it's all your involvement that's going to make it happen. You have to trust God in the process. That here I go again on my own, white snake anointing on your life has gotten you into a lot of trouble, hasn't it? you got to trust him. And look what happens. Here's the next scripture. It says, and you said, no, we will flee on horses. And the horses in the Bible, by the way, is a symbol of you doing things in your own strength, not in God's strength. We'll, we'll flee on horses, the Bible says, and therefore you shall flee. And we'll ride swift on those horses, God. And God says, therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. You think, well, I need to pull a quick one. You need to make this happen. If you're going to pull a quick one in the natural, understand that in the natural, somebody else can match your pace. Some of the results you need are beyond what naturally can happen. You need God's intervention. Well, I'm going to make something happen. Friend, listen, I believe in you doing your part. I believe in being diligent in all things. But there is a point where you can go over. It's a, tip, a literal tipping point where you're now manhandling the miracle. And why do you need God? If you're going to make it happen. But here's the problem. You're going to get natural results. Verse 17. 1,000 shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you're going to flee. Until you are left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner upon a hill. Very poetic language. Here's what the Bible's saying. You can isolate yourself into losing. You can isolate yourself and, and make yourself believe. You can be so self-deceived. The worst deception is self-deception. Self-deceived into, I can manage this on my own, that ultimately you'll isolate yourself and you'll be running from a threat of five, wherein you need to be a person that faces great battles in your existence. God's called you to great things, but you'll be running and fleeing. How? With this perception that I'll outrun them all. Okay, I have good news though. Verse 18. Yet, thank God for the yet scriptures of the Bible, yet the Lord, what does he do? He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. What's the best part of God? When you've done it your own way, when you've messed up, when you've done the stupid thing, there's our God ready to be gracious to you. What's God's response? Grace. He's gracious. He's but he needs you to do that repentance part. You got to turn to him in this. That's where the grace is. The grace, like he's not going to bless you doing the stupid thing. But when you turn and you run towards him, that's where the grace is. So in other words, the person that turns, they're running towards God. He's not going to be like, you idiot. You messed it up again. I it's nothing like that. It's like, okay, because you know. You know what it's like in the world, and that's where the grace is. Say amen, somebody. That's what we need from God. Next thing, write it down. Enemies to receiving our miracle. They did this. We exaggerate the negative. The small thing becomes massive. And they are a little bit dramatic in the way that they convey this. The, the, the guys come up to the master of the feast. This is how we would have like an MC, a master of ceremonies. Same thing in Bible times. They go up to this guy and they're like, hey, uh, there is no more wine. It's gone. And they're making this great indictment on the family like, well, I don't know what you want me to do because I was asked to pour and there's nothing to pour any longer. And so what are you going to do? Very dramatic. 
So let's have our last toast, you know? And, and we have that way when things go bad. We exaggerate that negative into making it into a mass of things. And it's easy, isn't it, to complain? To complain about what we're going through. It's all we're talking about. If you talk to somebody long enough, you're going to talk about what's going on in their life. They're going to complain and grumble. And there is a place for that. There's a place in a small group for you to be able to vent to somebody, to vent for a moment. There is a place with God to vent to your God. But at some point, you have to stop telling God how big your problem is and tell your problem how big your God is. You've got to change that direction. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises that God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The promises are yes and amen. You can trust your God. Stop exaggerating your problem. Exaggerate, the Bible put it this way, magnify the Lord in your problems. Oh God, you can do anything. We feel like oftentimes when we need a miracle that God is saying tough luck, and, and that is so not true. The furthest thing from the truth is that God is bigger. And he operates on a higher plane than us. And we don't get it all the time. We don't understand everything that he's doing. Not everything about what God does is obvious to us. And that's why it takes faith for us to serve it. And I believe, listen to me, God is the God of the miraculous. He's the God of the supernatural. God heals today. He's the healer every time. God can move mountains. God can give vision. God can extend limits that were put on your life. God can move. He can provide. He can open doors that no man can shut, and he can shut doors that no man can open. He can put divine protection around your family and your home. Our God is the God of the miraculous. Amen, somebody? And I believe that, but how? How's he going to work that out in my life? That's the million-dollar question. Four thoughts about how you can position yourself for a miracle. Number one, do what Jesus says to do. Pretty simple, but it's not simplistic. Simplistic answers bother me, but this is the simple gospel. You just do whatever he says. So I told you about Mary. Mary's getting ready to assert herself and start barking orders. It's not her wedding. Why is she doing it? And, and the greater arc of her story would show that, that she's making peace with who Jesus is. He's not just her kid, and she's not just going to be like type A mom. She's making peace with the fact that Jesus is God. And so she changes her verbiage. Here's what she says in John 2.5. His mother says to the servants, you do whatever he tells you to do. She's understanding that I can't bark this out. I am a guest here. And Jesus even says, if you like extra homework, he says, well, it's not quite my time yet, but he actually obeys his mother. That's pretty profound. And so what Jesus does is, is he begins to obey his mom, but Mary says to the servants, you need to obey him. And here's what, in my holy imagination, she's doing. She's going up to the servants like, listen, he's going to tell you to do something crazy. I know him. I've raised him. It's going to be strange. It's going to be out there a little bit. Listen to him. I'm telling you this is going to pan out, like in ways you're not even seeing. I, I raised the boy. Look, it's going to be all right. But listen to what he says. New Chapel, stop overthinking this. Some of you are asking God for this great answer to fall in your lap, and you've known the answer the whole time. You're just struggling with the do what he says part. You're choking on obedience and you know that, and God has more for you, but listen to me. What you have to know is it's, it's really like, just do, what he, just do it. 
Nike is late to the game. That's gospel. That's not Nike, okay? That's, that's what God has. Why does she have to say that to those people? Because God is famous for doing things we don't understand in ways we would not have done them, in ways that we would struggle to explain or even get at the time that he's doing it. He stands outside of our reason and our way of doing things, everybody. Isaiah 55, God says it. This plan of mine is not what you would work out. This is not the way you would have done it. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God doesn't think like you think. God's not trying to, God's not trying to uh, make it so you can palatable, so you can understand it and comprehend every move that he's trying to do. He's famous for doing it how you wouldn't. And some of you still are like, well, God, I just need to understand what you're doing. God, if I could just understand it first, then I'd have it in my heart. And you have this head-heart relationship with your God, trying to figure him out. It doesn't work with Christianity. You're describing New Age philosophy. You're not describing the Christian faith. Christian faith is, I hear the word of God and I believe it despite whatever my head is shooting off about. I believe it, God's word says it, and that settles it in my heart. His ways are not my ways. I receive what God is going to do. And if you can't receive it that way, if you have to be head to heart, then God will never be as big as what you can figure him out to be. He'll never be bigger than your head. I tell you something, nobody wants to serve a God that's only as big as what you can think. Speaking of Nike, <laughs> just do it. Y'all remember that commercial back in the day? It was when they were really trying to get it going in Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan, if you don't know basketball, I'm a very big sports buff. He'd be playing, he'd be dribbling, and he'd go and he'd make like one of those slam dunks, right? And they'd say, must be the shoes. Remember that commercial? Must be the shoes. Well, you know, news, it had nothing to do with those shoes. It had to do with Michael. But beyond all of that, must be the shoes. We as people want a formula. We want something we can like understand and bank on and make it into a formula. And people in the Bible day, they were the same way. And so Jesus, he'd lay hands on the sick, and they'd be healed. He'd lay hands on the sick, and they'd be healed. And this blind guy heard other people talk about it. He said, perfect. And so Jesus is coming through, and he's like, son of David, lay your hands on me. Lay your hands. I want to be healed. I'm blind. And Jesus calls the guy forward. And what do you think Jesus does? You think he lays his hands on the guy? No. He makes some spittle down in the mud. Jesus goes down circles it around, jabs it in a blind guy's eye. If I did this in the altar, I'd be on like Inside Edition tonight, okay? <laughs> jabs it in the dude's eye. Guy's like, lay hands on me. He's like, all right. <laughs> Puts that in his eyes, and the guy's miraculously healed. It's a miracle. So you go, Pastor Joe, why in the world did God do it that way? I have no ever-loving idea why, why God did it that way. And if you have to know, you'll never receive your miracle from God. If you have to figure him out, if you have to, oh God, just, I'll do it. Just give me the play-by-play. -play. Right, that's, yeah. And then we'll go braid each other's hair in, in a field and talk about what we're gonna have for dinner that night. I mean, like, it's God. He's not giving you a play-by-play. -play. He's gonna give you your next step. You have to obey him and do what he says to do. Say amen, somebody. Amen. We have to trust him. I'm a notes guy. I'm a study guy. But you don't want a God that I can just explain away for you. You want a God that blows your mind. Amen, somebody? <laughs> Number two, receiving a miracle of God. Number two, you need to focus on what God wants to do in you. In you. 
So when we get into a crisis in a moment, I need a miracle, you're focusing on the problem you need solved, okay? God wants to solve your problem, but he's more interested in leveraging the problem, which he had no business creating. God doesn't bring some of these needs into your life. I mean, there's no, no record of sickness being put on anyone in all of the scriptures by God. You find it, and I'll, I'll give up the ministry. It's not in there. I bank my life on it. You can't find it. Never puts sickness, never puts disease, never puts poverty on anybody. You show me. But here's the big idea. You have to understand that when you face some of those hardships, when the financial chips are down, when you're facing this I need a miracle moment, you're focused on the problem, but God wants to not only deal with the problem, he wants to deal with you. He wants to make you into a person who's the type of person who receives those types of miracles. He wants to involve you in the process. I think of Corinthians, the working of miracles. That's what our God wants to do. John 2 and verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Ceremonial washing pots. Jesus is going to turn water into wine. Hey, everybody, all play. Which is easier, to turn water into wine or air into wine? Answer? Neither. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> He can go presto changeo and we're swimming in wine in this room, okay? He, there's no limitations. Why have them fill up these ceremonial water pots? 20 to 30 gallons. Why roll out the barrel? Come on, Polish Grand Rapids, to the center of town and fill 20 to 30 gallons with a little bucket. Why have them involved in the process? These ceremonial washing pots were used outside the temple. So they just got married. They're right out the area where they got married, church, right? And these ceremonial watering pots were an area that you would actually take water out and do a ceremonial bath. Now, you wouldn't, you know, strip and have a shower, but you'd have to wash certain areas a certain way, and it was detailed, and it was all in not only the law, but greater than the law. They added to the law. So, like, if you washed and a drip came off your fingers, you did it wrong. Drips can only come off your elbow. You have to dry a certain way and wash a certain way in certain areas, and the greeters at that church were watching you wash up. Can you imagine a tent of that church? It's like, hey, do it again. <laughs> not clean, not clean. When I was a youth pastor, I wish I had that ability, like think before you worship, you know? But anyway, it's religion. It's dead stinking religion. It's greater than what God asked them to do in the Bible. And it's all about you being perfect on the outside, it had nothing to do with the heart. And Jesus looks at those pots and he says, ah, I'm both going to turn this water into wine thing, but I'm going to show them something else as well. I'm going to take the very place that is symbolic of being filled with old dead religion and I'm going to fill it with I'm going to fill it with joy. I'm going to bring the joy back to church. I'm going to carve out religion and put my blood where it belongs. I'm going to show them my goodness in the midst of their empty dead works. Do you see it? I come from the north country. We call that a twofer. Anybody know what that is? And we're looking for it all the time. That's a two for one. That's where God does one thing and another thing at the same time for the price of one. And he's doing that. God is trying to teach us that he doesn't want us to miss his goodness in the midst of the miracle. Otherwise, we look at just his hand and not his face. We want the relationship and the provision. Say amen, somebody. God is trying to always, always teach us something. We need to think, what am I missing? 
For those of you that have been in a miracle season, you're like, God, I still need this answer. Where is it? What is it? What are you overlooking that you think has nothing to do with your miracle? No, that, that has everything to do with what I don't want to be. Yeah, maybe God wants to ride it like he stole it. <laughs> maybe he wants to flip the script on something small, insignificant, or unexpected. So here's your homework this week. Write it down. You need to pray to God. God, what am I missing? You want to do it, but you want to grow me at the same time. What am I overlooking, God? And guess what God's going to tell you? He's going to speak to his kids. Third thing, got to press on, everybody. Receiving a miracle from God. Number three, you need to believe the unbelievable. Now, church, this is where I need you to wake up a little bit. We're going to preach this thing through to the end of this message. I want you to trust God for big things. I'm so sick of, well, God, I just ask that you'd help us find a nice sale for back to school. Look, get a life. God wants to do that and. God wants to start businesses in your home. God wants to prosper his people. He wants to do that to establish his covenant with you so that the, the, those, those stinking Gentiles that you live next to are like, my gosh, wait, God bless you. How did God bless you? Listen, God, my God's a provider. Is your God a provider or not? God wants to establish things. You need to believe God for big things. John 2. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. And Jesus tells them. So they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew. Of course they knew. They were rolling out these, that had been hundreds of pounds. Don't limit God to the size of your brain. It takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It doesn't have to all add up in your mind. He works the impossible. I'm preaching better than y'all are letting on. You asked about miracles, listen to me. He works the impossible. But you're going to have to see the invisible to work the impossible. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Nothing is too difficult for him. Well, I don't know, this is a big bill. Look, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the provision in this world. You show me. You show me where God ever struck somebody with poverty. You can't find it in the Word. But the Jews have a covenant with their God for provision. Why do you think they're still in gold and diamonds, everybody? Uh, like in Grand Rapids, the names of those jewelry stores. Shalom. I'm just saying, like, Why? Because even though they don't acknowledge our Jesus, they're smart enough to read their Bible and they read about a God that struck covenant. And we have a new and better covenant with our God. You need to be believing God for big things, impossible things. If you're believing God for a bunch of tuna fish and egg salad, buddy, that's exactly what you'll get and you'll eat good of it. But if you want big things in your life, you'll have to trust God. I don't know how, I don't know where it's gonna come from, but God, you're gonna meet this need. That's the heart of your God. Hallelujah. Number four, you need to expect the best. Oh, bad things always happen. Get out of here, Charlie Brown. He's such a pain. You need to expect the best. You expect that God is going to do good things. I want to pastor a group of people that, that, that believe God for the best things in this world. Expecting God to do a miracle. Something good is going to happen to me today. Hallelujah. John 2. He said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and then the inferior. 
As an Italian, I can tell you this is true. <laughs> For reasons I'm not going to explain. You have kept, the Bible says you have kept the good wine until now. God has kept the best for last. You're in the last days. Stop asking about it. You're there. You're living there. You're in the last days. God has, le- he has, he has held back the best of his blessing, the best of his provision, the best of his miracles, his answers for the last. Most put out the inferior wine. La- exactly. Because all their gods are dead and buried and they go and they circle around big blocks where they, baloney. Our God is living and alive and God has set his spirit in those last days to pour out on everybody and it's for the last. The atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for the miraculous. You better raise your hopes, raise your expectation that God can do anything. Meditate on the fact that God can meet this need easy. And I want to end with this, Ephesians 3.20. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according how? According to the power that works in you. Could it be that you are holding back your very own miracle? Holding back the blessing of God because you just have not expanded your mind that God could do it any way he wants? No, it's got to happen this way. Friend, our God, our Jesus is a a miracle-working Jesus. But you're going to have to get your hope. I want to get my hopes up. I've been hurt in the past. Then it's not going to work for you. you got to get your hopes up that my God can do the impossible. In Jesus' name. Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them. In Jesus' name. If you came in here and you don't know God, In fact, you're like, what was that? It's not a religion. It's not empty and dead ritual. It's a living and active God that's concerned with his people. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in this moment, with nobody moving around, nobody stirring, I want to give you that opportunity. If your life's not right with God, we're going to pray. And if you mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved. That means eternity in heaven, yes, but it means the abundant life, the victorious life, the miraculous life today. And if that's you and you're in the sound of my voice, we're gonna pray this out loud. Church, pray it with those people. Pray it with me. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you real quick. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great weekend, guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. 
And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. 